Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Karen Orr, Research Fellow at the Centre for Research and Educational Underachievement, also known as CREE, based here in Stradmillis University College, Belfast. I'd like to welcome you to the CREE podcast, a space to unpack the complex issues in research related to educational underachievement. In this episode, we're joined by Naomi McBurney and Tim Kearns of the Parental Engagement Group. In October, the group published a discussion paper which has highlighted the financial, social and educational cost of school uniforms in Northern Ireland. They claim that the significant financial outlay required to ensure that children's attire conforms with the school uniform policy can not only pose serious financial challenges for parents on low and middle incomes, but has an impact on school choice, exclusion in the classroom and children's self-esteem and well-being. Their preliminary research found that around a third of young people have experienced exclusion from a school activity for not wearing the correct school uniform and that 75% have been disciplined in school for a uniform infringement. Director of Crew, Dr Noel Purdy, sat down with Naomi and Tim to find out more. In today's podcast, we discuss their campaign to begin a public conversation about school uniforms, the evidence behind their claims and what they hope to achieve. Hello everybody and and welcome to this crew podcast. Um, Today we have Naomi McBurney and Tim Kearns from the Parent Engagement Group with us Um, and thanks very much for coming Naomi and Tim, it's great to see you Uh, and welcome to Stramillis and welcome to the Centre for Research and Educational Underachievement or or CREW. Um, So this is the first time we've we've spoken to you um, and I think for our listeners it'd be great if you could tell us just a little bit about the Parent Engagement Group. So um, how did how did this group come about, and, and what are you what are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? Hi, Noel. Thanks for having us. Um, so, as like any great movement, um, the Parent Engagement Group started on Twitter. Um, it was a brief, um, almost uh, tongue in cheek um, comment that I made following a BBC article around school uniforms and the excessive cost. Um, that I suggested that I should maybe start a project on it. And Lindsay Robinson, co-founder of the Parent Engagement Group, um, commented on it as well and said, can I be part of this? Um, following a Zoom meeting, as is what we do now, um, we um, formed the Parent Engagement Group and um, I decided to go with the brand, um, created the brand and it launched with a parent survey in August. Okay, so it's relatively new, just August of this year then? Yep, that's right, yep, it's okay. very, very new. Yeah, so we've achieved quite a lot in a short space of time. Fantastic, and how did you get involved then, Tim, as well? Well, that's a great question. I was press-ganged into it by Naomi and Lindsay. Um, <laughs> I, I, too, commented on Twitter. It's always a mistake to, to comment on Twitter, of course, but uh, I commented and Lindsay got in contact with me and said, look, do you want to be part of this? Um, you know, we really need to get some documents out there, get some conversations going in and around this. And I think look, it's, it's such an important issue. I mean, August every year is when this issue rolls around and we all go out as parents and we buy our school uniforms and we try and kit our kids out as best we can. And then the the whole uniform debate falls off the, the public consciousness. So I think what Naomi and Lindsay and, and the rest of us want to do is make this uh, stay front and center, not just for August, but for September right through to the following summer so that we can keep this this engagement going so we can try and affect change in and around school uniforms. Okay, so that's been really helpful. And obviously around school uniforms, uh, as you say, Tim, you know, there's a bit of um, 
interest in that in late August and early September. But by the time we get to late November, as we are now, um, uh, nobody's really talking about it. So maybe it'd be useful just to start off uh, to tell us a little bit uh, about the current situation around the, the guidance and legislation that we have here in Northern Ireland around um, school uniforms. And, and how does it compare? How does the situation here in Northern Ireland compare to other parts of the UK and even further afield? Yeah, well, I think in Northern Ireland, we have a voluntary guidance uh, at the moment. And look, in fairness, the Department of Education is a pretty good guidance document. It covers all the main things that you'd want the document to cover, health and safety, practicality, you know, school identity, ethos, all of those things are in this guidance. And as well, cost forms a, a huge part of the guidance as well. But it's just uh, guidance to boards of governors. Go boards of governors don't have to pay any regard to it. They don't have to legally take a cognizance of it. It's the guidance is simply there, and it's well, look, fairly much ignored, I think, by boards of governors when they're setting their uniform policy. And I think that stands in contrast to other parts of the United Kingdom. Wales, um, they have uh, issued some statutory guidance under Section 88 of the Education and, and Education Inspection Act 2006. Now that section of the legislation uh, in Wales is about uh, discipline in schools and they, the minister in Wales has used that section of legislation to be able to put in place guidance that's statutory guidance. Now, it's pretty similar to the guidance that was issued in Northern Ireland. It covers some of the same things, many of the same things, affordability, um, uh, by, by consulting with parents and pupils and all of that sort of thing. It's there, but the difference between the situation in Wales and the situation in Northern Ireland is that it's statutory guidance. So it's something that boards of governors can't simply just pay lip service to. And that's also the position in England as well. In England, um, there's a, an act of parliament just from uh, this year, which is the Education Guidance on the Cost of Uniforms Act uh, 2021. Now, the difference in England, Wales, and then the non-statutory guidance we have in Northern Ireland is that English guidance is only about cost and affordability. It's not about some of the other issues that boards of governors uh, should pay attention to. And I think, look, you know, we, we have this non-statutory guidance in Northern Ireland. Wales have adopted a, a one particular model. England have adopted a model through a piece of legislation in Westminster that deals with cost. I think in Northern Ireland, we need to get this guidance on the statutory footing so boards of governors can be held to account. And uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but the, the guidance that we have here in Northern Ireland, has that been around for a while, Tim, do you know, or is that something that's re been recently revised it's, it's, or published? It's it's not it's not new. It's been around for a while. Um, and it's been something that's been on, you know, the boards of governors have had, been able to have reference to for, for a while. But we don't see boards of governors really taking cognizance of that. Look, the English guidance has just been published uh, on foot of the legislation. And that, of course, is statutory guidance. And it's talking about things like, non-branded sportswear it's talking about things that are affordable don't put logos uh on on the sportswear or on on the uniform and i think what, what they're trying to do in the english model is say look if it can't be bought in the high street then this isn't something that you should really um have in your policy for uniform for your particular school what you should be able to do is go to tesco go to any shop go to sainsbury whatever wherever you get your uniform the uniform specialist uniform suppliers wherever you get that uniform and you as a parent should be able to get everything you need uh, in the shop that you choose to go to uh, at the price point that you can afford to pay now i think we would have some concerns in and around the english model uh, because it's also trying to promote secondhand uh, uniforms as 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 best practice and i think whilst 
Secondhand uniforms is great, and I think we all, as parents, have, have availed of uniform swaps and all those things. They're great. I think that needs to be voluntary rather than statutory. I think where England has made a mistake is they put that um, uniform, secondhand uniform, uh, on a statutory footing, and schools are, have to now do secondhand uniform exchanges. And I think that's probably a mistake. Um, I think you know parents should have the right to be able to buy their kids new uniform mm. at an affordable price, and kids should have um, that right to have that uh, new uniform at an affordable price. Um, I don't know, Naomi, I don't, I don't, you have some views, I think, on, on the English model. Yes, I'm nodding away here. Um, 100% in agreement with Tim. Um, and also uh, just around the secondhand um, uniforms, um, Tim makes the point there that it has to be about choice. We can't um, have parents in a position whereby the school uniforms are too expensive and there's a secondhand choice uh, option for them. However, they are forced to use that secondhand option. We need to consider the stigma and the shame around poverty in that. And that's something that we would be very very um, clear on with PEG, as well as um, the other issue of the English legislation. They're very clear on the competitive and the transparent contracts with school suppliers that we're not seeing here in Northern Ireland. And that is something that's been introduced to the legislation um, just on Friday there, the guidance went live. And I think that's really key. Um, a lot of parents are very aware that they don't have a say in that. Um, you know, Tim and I are very aware of that. Um, and, you know, that's something that we need to, to see in the legislation here Northern Ireland to ensure that competition is fair mm. and that parents are getting the best price that they possibly can. But if we go back a stage and, and let's let's talk about the idea of school uniforms in, in theory, you know, and, and a lot of people would say that school uniforms are the great equalizer, aren't they? That they they help to mask social inequalities. Um, you're, you're not suggesting they would get, get rid of school uniform, are you? Or can you still see those benefits or, or have they peeled into insignificance now because of the rising costs. What's your view on that? Well, I think like, whatever way you want to clothe kids, it's going to be costly. It's, it's not going to be cheap. And I think there are certain benefits to school uniforms. It's interesting when you look at, at the research on, on uniforms and you look at the research that comes out of America and you look at the comparative the research that comes out of the United Kingdom. In America, the norm would be a dress code and the abnormal situation would be a uniform. So about 80% of the schools in the United States and Canada would have a dress code policy. So where would you like within these parameters? And about 20% of schools would have a uniform policy as we would know it. And it's the reverse in the United Kingdom. And it's interesting, when, when you look at the research, stigma and bullying and being out of step in the United States of America and Canada comes in schools where they have a uniform policy because that's abnormal to the rest of schools. So for instance, I was just reading some research um, the other day where somebody had got their tights, a girl had got their tights for school from Walmart, and that was stigmatizing the uniform school, whereas that wasn't Walmart clothing isn't something that's stigmatized in the dress code policy school. But actually the research has flipped in the United Kingdom because the norm is uniforms. Schools that uh, have a dress code policy tend to seem more bullying than schools that have a uh, uniform policy. So I think what's important is that um, children are, are allowed to ma be made feel not just part of a community that they're in, but they're part of a, a wider society and a wider societal norm. And, that, and the norm in the United Kingdom is school uniforms. 80, over 80% of schools in the UK and Ireland um, have a uniform policy. So I think that that's, that's the parameters within we're, which we're working. And I think therefore the research shows that if you have a uniform policy that is good, a uniform policy that consults well, that I think that's something that, that kids can buy into and actually leads to better educational outcomes uh, for kids because that is, that's the norm of all schools. Mm. 
Um, I suppose the other issue in relation to Northern Ireland and uniforms is that school uniforms are often a badge of community identity mm. as well, and and that can be that can be a challenge as well, can't it? In terms of um, children and rivalry between schools and intercommunity tension. Mm. Well, of course, you know, uh, and, and there's no there's no question of that that that, that can lead uh, in Northern Ireland to. Um, kids being identified as from one particular community or, or, or another and I think uh, that's why I think you know we don't want all kids to all look the same I think there's no question of that but it's interesting also when you look at the research um, even where there's horrible uniform even where uniform is grotesque and, and pupils of schools and this particularly comes through in the research in the United Kingdom is particularly where people think they're suffering because of the, how horrible their uniform is that actually leads to community cohesion and people, you know, with horrendous, you know, tartan or something. Um, and even through the whole of life, it's, it's shown in the research that that leads to this, this greater community cohesion. People are 50, 60, 70. And you say, I went to such and such a school. Well, that's the school with the funny tartan, isn't it? Yes, it was. And that, that's almost a badge of honor. And even the kids, when they're wearing that, uh, actually builds a community bond uh, even through um, what, what could be perceived as a horrible experience. But I think what, what uniforms do bring or what a comprehensive policy uh, of uniformity brings is is that community cohesion. Look, I think here, here here's the the crucial point. School uniforms haven't changed from the 1940s, 1950s, uh, whatever to today. And I don't understand why we need to send our kids to school today looking like they're 1950s bank managers. Do they really need to do that to learn mathematics? Is there a better way for uniform to look? Well, well, let's move on and talk about, I suppose, the core issue in your, your paper, which is the rising cost of, of uniforms. And let's put a few uh, figures on that as well. So I know you've carried out some research here in Northern Ireland. So how much does it cost? Uh, and what are the differences um, between the different sectors, between primary and secondary? Um, I don't know if you want to comment uh, on differences between um, selective and non-selective post-primary schools as well. And, and PE kits and uh, games kits and rugby kits and all the rest of it. Uh, but give us a few facts and figures then, Naomi. So I think the thing we need to um, be mindful of, first of all, that our research has revealed that um, this is an issue across all economic groups within society. Um, so we, we undertook the parent research in August, which showed us that um, the cost of uniform for parents within the 25,000 to 35,000 um, age income bracket was 100% and that was 100% of parents were very concerned or quite concerned about the cost and then it, it slightly drops it's 98% for the 15 to 25 bracket now if you consider um the the grant and the current threshold of the grant that we have at the moment um it's it's quite low in that if you're earning um 14,000 um on as a universal claimant you you get the grant anything above that you're not so we're seeing across the board that you know people that aren't receiving the grant are they're under significant financial pressure to afford the school uniforms our research has indicated that for a post-primary school uniform, it's £378 on average per child, and that's dropped slightly to £178 for, for primary school children. So that's a considerable amount of money um, for any family, um, regardless of the income that you're you're receiving. And what's costing the money there? Is it the, the, the woolen blazers of certain schools? Is it the the branded um, PE kits, the games kits, the hockey shirts, the rugby shirts? 
So if you if you look at the post-primary sector, which seems to be um, of main concern for parents, we're seeing that um, the, the PE kits are a considerable concern. And again, young people have raised that concern through our young person survey as well. You, you know, this is it is significant. The um, the branded items of our PE kits are growing year on year within some schools. Um, they're adding, they're continuing to add a, a branded item almost every year with no cons consultation with parents. So, uh, but again, um, the, the, our research we looked into the cost of uniform, excluding shoes. So, and the, and those figures or you know, ex excluding the cost of footwear, it, it rises again whenever you put in the footwear. And I think it's around the, the inflexibility that we're seeing um, because, as I said, those, those mandatory lists are growing year on year and that's something that parents don't have a control of and children don't have a control of and that's something that we need to consider going forward. So how is this impacting on those low-income families then? I mean, getting to the crux of the matter, I suppose, for, for crew, for us here in the Centre for Research and Educational Underachievement, we're interested in educational inequality and social disadvantage and so on. What, how does this issue impact on those low-income families, and um, what extent, to what extent, is there support available uh, to families here in Northern Ireland, and how does that compare to other parts of the UK and Ireland? So um, the low-income families are telling us that unfortunately they're, they're experiencing debt problems because of the cost of uniforms. It's a considerable outlay, as you see in, um, in August every year, you know, and there's a particular problem with children transitioning from year set, primary seven into year eight because there is a considerable difference in the cost. So um, parents, unfortunately, won't have prepared for that considerable cost difference because nobody tells them what, when they apply to a school, you know, that's not in the top priority you know we we all know in northern ireland there's there there is a shortage of places in post-primary schools particularly you know in in the lisburn east belfast south belfast north down and um, those areas are considerably stretched in their school numbers so to be honest parents are not looking at the school uniform policy when they make their application to schools no, so they, they have no idea in other words what, how much it's going to cost they till, don't till the children that, are there that's something that you're seeing and again because of the the mandatory list that are growing year on year you know you can't really prepare for that and the grant is considerably much lower than what parents need and that is a serious issue and how does that grant compare to other parts of the uk that, that uniform grant well in, in terms of of uh, scotland uh, and wales it's, it's lower here than it is and in terms of republic of ireland it's lower now it's piecemeal in england it depends on your local authority um some local authorities in england you'd get a higher grant than you would get here um but i think the the key thing is people shouldn't be relying on a grant to buy school uniforms i think that that's the critical thing is if we have so many people who could not afford the the uniform without the grant and if the grant is not even enough uh, for those families that really need it to buy what the schools require then we have a problem you know if, if you're a low-income family and you want to go to your your child um secures a place at a voluntary grammar school i don't want to pick on voluntary grammar schools but but they do have particular uniform and particularly branded sports policy uh, sport pe kit policies you know if you're if your child and you're from a low-income family gets that place at that voluntary grammar school you know, as Naomi has said, you haven't looked at the uniform policy. Suddenly, you get a letter at the end of July, sort of August, saying, here's the, the branded sportswear that you need to buy. Here are the branded blazers and skirts and trousers and, and socks and shoes that you need to buy. These are the only shops that you can get them in. And here's the grant that you're getting. And it's not even covering half the cost of what you have to outlay. Then I think we're in a serious problem. 
you know, at the very, very least, the grant should cover the minimum school uniform costs for those families who need it. And right now it's not. And I think boards of governors need to take more cognizance of affordability to pay and what the grant is when they're setting that policy. Look, the English policy, uh, as has come out just, just last week, uh, is looking at things like uh, minimal amounts of changes in the uniform. And by that, you know, a minimal amount of change between the day-to-day -day uniform and the PE kit. You know, do you really need to have uh, a blazer, trousers, shirt, tie, grey socks, black shoes, uh, for your day-to-day -day school work, and then a tracksuit, shorts, branded rugby top, branded tracksuit um, for, for the two or three hours a week that you're doing PE. Do we really need to do that? But that's what we're forcing families to do, as well as buying branded um, rugby boots, foot, football boots, uh, branded uh, trainers for PE, as well as uh, shoes that are going to last for a whole year. So I think we're putting families on low incomes under severe pressure that we don't actually need to put them on under. But it's not only families on low incomes, it's all families are being put under pressure to meet these costs. And if that's the case, you know, if 100% of people in the survey that we undertook are saying they're put under um, severe financial strain because of school uniforms, there's something wrong with the policy that schools have in place. Can we talk about the children as well and how it might impact on those children? Because I think in your report, you talk about school exclusion or uh, sanctions which are imposed as a, as a result of children perhaps not wearing um, the branded um, uniform or PE kit that's required. So how could this possibly impact on children themselves? So, yeah, no, well, we um, felt that it was important to hear the voice of young people as well. Um, the, the research, our discussion paper is very clear that um, children are not immune to the effects of the financial pressures that their parents are placed under, and it is actually impacting them and their school day. The, we, we undertook a research and we partnered with the Secondary Students Union of Northern Ireland, who, who were very delighted actually to be part of you know what we're what we're working on and they told us um there was over a thousand participants in that survey and um 70 75 percent of those young people told us that they had actually experienced discipline in their school because of um not wearing the correct uniform when we drilled down that further we found that 36 percent of those young people that equates to 365 young people had been excluded from a school activity now that on the majority would have been PE because they didn't have the correct PE kit on the day. However, there were a number of school activities that are a real privilege for children to take part in, such as internal school events, uh, school concerts or school trips that are so rewarding for their education. And unfortunately, 36% of young people had experienced exclusion from that. And for me as a parent, but also as a campaigner, we just find that, you know, that is impacting upon their educational outcomes. That is having a detriment to their their even their aspiration to be part of a community you know that um tim has already talked about you know we're we need to be nurturing them we need to be enjoying that journey um enabling them to enjoy that journey on their education um part of the the day um and, yeah well we're all parents here yeah. and i mean how many times has one of our kids come home and one of their rugby socks or whatever is in the bag and the other one's missing i mean how much do those rugby socks cost i mean i don't know 12, 13, 14 pounds, you know, do they need to cost that much just because they're branded? Um, and if you're a family that can't afford to replace those socks, um, that child's probably excluded from, from rugby, from football or from whatever the activity is. And, and there's a punishment then associated with poverty, which I think um, brings us back to really this thought of, does the school uniform need to be as rigid as what the school uniform policy is in schools? 
is there a way that we can maintain um, community identity, maintain the discipline that comes with school uniforms, but also have a flexibility that kids can feel comfortable in the school uniforms, parents can afford to pay for the school uniforms, and schools can have a flexible policy that kids can be accommodated when they inevitably lose socks or lose a jumper or whatever. There's got to be some way that we can accommodate all of those competing needs. Well, I think that's a, that's a good point, isn't it? And, but how would you sell that to the principal of a school who maintains that discipline is enshrined in the uniform policy of the school and i've heard this from from many principals over the years who say well like if we if we allow the uniform to slip and the, the you know the shirt hanging out and the tie and the wrong shoes then that's that's the start of a slippery slope well, I mean, I, I get that, and I don't think. I mean, uh, I mean, it's 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 a podcast, so nobody can see how badly I'm dressed today. <laughs> but I think you know, you know, Noel, you're in a beautiful shirt and tie. You'd, Thank you. You'd, you would do a voluntary grammar pride today, <laughs> so you would no doubt at all. But look, I think the pandemic really for me was quite arresting to watch because both my kids go to voluntary grammars and go to pretty uniform, rigid voluntary grammars. We'll not mention who they are, but. Um, uh, both of them, and, and actually the girls' grammar school that my daughter goes to, they still uh, allow you on days of PE, when PE is, is taking place to come in in your PE kit rather than your school uniform. Now, the, the boys' voluntary grammar that my son goes to has gone back to you get changed in school. But the kids went to school in PE kit, in hoodies, or, you know, there were no blazers. And look, did the sky fall in? Did uh, exam results go down? Um, was behavior any worse? I don't think that it was. And I think it's about, um, uniform isn't just about wearing a blazer and a shirt and a tie. You know, life moves on. You know, trends change. People feel more comfortable in different types of clothing. And maybe I think people need to, in schools, need to ask themselves, do we really need to enforce the policy as we have it right now? You know, particularly girls, I think that that's really where, where our focus needs to be. And, that, you know, there was a study... Um, in Victoria University in Australia, um, where they looked at girls and girls' participation, uh, not just in academic activity, but in, in physical activity uh, at school. And I think we want to see uh, girls from all backgrounds um, being more engaged in physical activity because it's a problem in school. And uniform was the key identifier uh, as blocking girls, not just in physical activity, but also in academic activity as well. So in schools where girls were wearing more uh, athletic type clothing, um, in the school environment, there was higher participation in physical uh, activity, uh, in sports, uh, but there was also a higher attainment in academic activity because girls felt more comfortable in the academic environment because they felt more comfortable in the clothes that they were wearing. I don't know why we send our girls to school in shirts and ties and blazers and skirts that they can barely walk upstairs in. I have no idea how that helps academic attainment at all. When we've seen through the pandemic that it's perfectly acceptable to wear comfortable clothing that does brand the community, that does brand everybody together. And the other thing is, does it really need to be made by some expensive sports manufacturer for people to be uh, within community cohesion together? The answer is it doesn't. Look, boards of governors need to be challenged in this. Mm. And they need to say, look, we need to sit down and say, look, is it absolutely right that we wear exactly the same school uniform today that we wore 50, 60, 70 years ago? And I think the answer to that is no. Well, Tim, I'm glad it's not just tartans that you're against then. It's a school uniform for girls, uh, uh, long skirts and, and all of those things uh, combined. Um, just as we um, move towards a conclusion, Naomi, um, 
from your point of view in the parent engagement group, what recommendations uh, um, have you made in your paper here? What, how do you want to take this issue forward? We, we would like to see an independent ministerial advisory, advisory group set up and that would involve parents and young people as well um, and, and they would be looking at the current guidance but also looking at the um, the, the review which the minister has already committed to, to doing but I, we want to be part of that as well and we want to see um, consultation with parents I think is really key here and it's really key in, um, with boards of governors as well as Tim has you know um, talked about that um, they consult more widely with their young people and also with the parents that um, you know are sending their kids to those schools because that is where we we can kind of we can talk about the things that Tim has mentioned and how comfortable the girls are feeling in their skirts and you know is there any work around that respectfully um, understanding that they have a position of discipline which is very important and and, you know, we don't want to take away from that. Um, you know, I think that that has to be addressed and we would be keen to to work with principals and boards of governors on that going forward. And we would welcome the minister's support um, to do that. Um, there's a, there, there is a huge piece of work that is required. And I think being independent, as we had talked about through PEG, is very important because it, you know, it enables those voices to be free and to be engaged and to feel empowered to be part of the wider conversations around that. Yeah, and presumably you would want to be engaging with a, a broad cross-section of the community as well, that, that you know, it's not just one school sector or one part of the community or one phase of education, rather. I think the, the key in this is consultation. Yeah. Look, this, this has to start from the top because change is not going to happen unless the minister intervenes. I think we, we can be absolutely clear on that. So that, that's why we want to see a ministerial advisory group come in and then we want to see that that, that Northern Ireland follows the, the lead of Wales and England and this is put on their statutory footing. And I think the key for boards of governors is consultation. Consult with the kids at the school. Find out from them. You know, maybe the kids at the school, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do want to wear a shirt and a tie. Maybe they love it. And, and great if they do. Let, let's keep that as a school uniform. Um, consult with parents. You know, consult more widely uh, and see what um, what's practical, what, what's going to be helpful to, to aid the, the kids learn better. And I think the other key is flexibility. We're so rigid in uniform policy, and I get it. The principles of a tough time, and they have to enforce standards, and you have kids who are always wanting to push the boundaries and push the boundaries and push the boundaries. And I get it. I am not looking after eight or 900 kids every day. I'm sure it's a nightmare. You know, they're, they're, they're doing an amazing job, and I get it. That, that they want to mention, you know, they need to maintain standards because the second standard slip, everybody's everybody's slipping. So I get that. But how do we how do we allow for flexibility as well as for allowing a uniform that's going to bring the discipline that schools need, that's going to bring the community cohesion that schools need, that's going to bring the flexibility that schools have to do a range of curriculum activities. Um, not just, you know, we talked a lot about sports and sport kits, but you know, it, is the uniform that the kids are wearing, is it practical for every single curriculum activity that they do? Is there a way that we can have uniforms that, that work for, for everything that the school wants to achieve? And I think that, that's, that's what we're looking for, is consultation, and then whatever comes out of that being put on the statutory food. Eh? Well, look, we've reached the end of our podcast today. Um, but one final question, which is if any of our listeners want to find out more about the Parent Engagement Group or indeed want to read your discussion paper, how, how could they do that? So, of course, we're on Twitter. Um, that's where it all started. So it would make sense that we, you'll find us there, which our um, handle is at ParentPeg. You'll also find us on Facebook if you want to have um, a more sort of 
a conversational piece um, you'll find us on Facebook um, and we're at, at Parent Engagement Group MI and at the moment we don't have a website unfortunately so um, Lindsay through Have You Seen That Girl is hosting the discussion paper and certainly you know you can reach out to us on any of those social media platforms and we'll be more than happy to engage with you. If anyone's a web designer and wants to join you're very yep. welcome. Yep. All, all on board for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Well, look, thanks very much to Naomi and to Tim for coming along uh, today. And lots of really interesting ideas uh, and evidence in your uh, discussion paper as well. So thanks again. Thank you. For more information and updates on the work of Crew, you can visit our website, strand.ac.uk forward slash research forward slash crew or you can follow strand crew on twitter and if you would like to find out more about the parental engagement group you can follow parent peg on twitter today's podcast was presented by me dr karen orr and director of crew dr noel purdy it was produced and edited by graham watson